Good morning, Southfield. I saw an article this week that was claiming that there are a bunch of people already like stressed out and depressed over having to buy Christmas presents. We still have like a, a month and a half left before Christmas, and I'm already seeing articles about this. I'm so glad that walking in here this morning, this space, these people have not been affected because I've been seeing a ton of smiles, a lot of energy, and I love to see that. Let's use that energy this morning to worship our God. So if you would, please stand and sing with us. Father, what a privilege it is to stand and worship you today. Pray that we would be made aware of your presence and that we would be open to everything that you have to say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, unfortunately, in this broken world, all good things must come to an end. And Manuka's playoff run came to an end yesterday. In the same week that our James series ended. Two terrible, terribly sad things uh, that happened this week. But um, fortunately, we have the opportunity to dive into a, a new series, a shorter series, where we're going to be looking at Second Peter chapter 1. And really, it does, it continues this talk of, of the kind of fruit that your faith can bear. And it, it uh, gives us the opportunity to continue evaluating what kind of faith we have. Do we live out that saving faith? So today for our um, communion lead-in, we want to give you the passage that we're going to be studying for the next few weeks. Uh, so I'm going to read it, and then when I'm finished, um, I really would love for you to just try and catch a piece. There's a section in here where it goes, there, it, there's a list that builds on each other. And I'd really love for you to catch one of the items in the list, whichever one God puts in your lap this morning, uh, and, and ruminate on it, chew on it uh, for about 30 seconds. At the end of that 30 seconds of silence, uh, where you're able to, to kind of dive into what, uh, what's being read, we'll move to communion. And if you need a gluten-free communion this morning, we have that option for you on the front of the stage. Otherwise, you can head to the back of the room or the front of the room and come receive communion here this morning. So without further ado, this is Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and his goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort, here's the list, to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, 
self-control. And to your self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not possess them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our servers are going to come receive the morning offering, and as they do, I would like to direct your attention to your bulletin that you should have received on your way in this morning. Down that middle column, that's where all of our announcements are, especially, we want to make sure that you especially check those out on weeks where the links email doesn't go out, like this morning. Um, there's some really cool announcements in there. Uh, I'm going to start actually at the bottom, and at, at the bottom, we, um, we recognize that all of the children who were um, given to us uh, to take care of in the Angel Tree Project, which, so these are children of inmates, uh, and we work to give them presents throughout Christmas season, but we're not just giving them presents from us, we're, we're actually giving them the gift from the parent, uh, so we're buying the gift, and then, you know, by proxy, uh, giving them the gift from the parent, and all, every one of the kids that was uh, given to us has been covered, and that's just so, that's so encouraging, that's so wildly cool that we were able to care for people who we don't know, uh, just showing them God's love, and so great job uh, picking up on that. We have a really exciting uh, time coming up here with all of our um, Christmas events. We have the, the Christmas program on December 15th, and then Christmas Eve. Our Christmas Eve service is going to be wild this year. Uh, there's going to be several of them, and you're going to get to kind of pick and choose the order in which you kind of do things. So I'm not even going to get into that because we still have a little bit of time before Thanksgiving. So I don't want to get like too close. I don't want to start, I don't want to send everybody to Target for their presents after, after uh, church today. Um, but that is something definitely to, to start making the invites for. So you know that a Christmas Eve service is happening here. You know that it's going to be wildly different. So maybe invite that friend, invite that family member who might be open to coming on Christmas Eve. Finally, I want to close with uh, a little bit of student news. Next Wednesday, we will not be meeting, uh, Refuge will not be meeting because of Thanksgiving. We're going to take that Wednesday off and then the following Sunday. So this, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we will not be meeting for Refuge or Revive, but everything else uh, is as is, is normal. Uh, the one thing that I want to make parents aware of, we're going to be encouraging both groups. We did something at the warehouse years and years ago, uh, where we took, we took clothes and gloves and things like that, and we created like a, a tree in the corner of the front room of the warehouse. Just old stuff of ours, things that didn't fit, or things that we realized we didn't wear anymore, and we literally made like a Christmas tree out of our clothes. And we're going to do that again, because with where we're at, I think we can uh, do some, some pretty powerful stuff in terms of providing clothes for, um, for people who need them. And so I want to make you aware, your junior hires, your high schoolers are going to be going through their closets, picking through stuff here over the next month, month and a half. I want to make sure that if you, if you have a 
child who might be like, well, my mom bought me this yesterday and I don't really like it. Like, I want to make you aware that <laughs> check their clothes before they're running out the door just to get rid of it. You know, if they're going to throw away their, their Thanksgiving outfit for your, for your Christmas picture, make sure they don't get rid of that sweater. Okay. Um, just, I wanted to make you aware of that because we're going to be heading into that. So without further ado, um, we have an incredible message this morning. Uh, John Beaker is going to lead us in. John's one of our, our overseers, and he's, he's part of the lifeblood of Southfield. And he's been fired up to talk to us about second, or, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 1. So if you would, welcome John this morning. Appreciate it. It is Second Peter, just, uh, sorry. just in case you want to know. <laughs> no, I'm excited to be able to address you. Uh, really thought that the series that Dennis just concluded on the book of James was phenomenal. Really challenged us to take a look at our faith and to make sure, to make absolutely sure that the faith that we have is a saving faith. That we're not just talking about, yeah, I've got faith. Yeah, No, no, no. That, that it is an, a faith that is producing fruit, that is changing us. That's why we talk a lot about life change being so important here at Southfield. We want to see that happening in all of our lives. So as Dennis just finished walking us through the book of James, we learn how to identify by looking at our lives whether or not we have authentic faith, saving faith in our lives. That saving faith needs to be grounded and rooted in truth, not in fiction, not in fairy tales. As such, it's important for us to know what God's Word says, so that we can believe it and be saved. Now, what we know is important. It matters. But knowledge alone does not save. Faith does. We just got done learning that from James. An informed faith is a faith that grows in knowledge, growing not only in what we know, but more importantly, in who we know, in Jesus. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the beginning of another book in the New Testament, 2 Peter. Now, Peter talks a lot about knowledge in this book, what we should know, why it should matter. He goes on to offer a fairly serious and stern warning against false teachers and false teaching, the result of which is destruction, their own destruction, destruction of their faith, separation from God. It's, it's a serious warning. We can get a sense for Peter's message by his concluding remarks in the book where he writes, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing in grace and knowledge is what should be happening uh, to those that have a saving faith. Now in the past, when I've gone through and read different New Testament letters, I've often paid little attention to my own shame uh, to the beginning and the ends of those books because they all kind of start the same way, right? Hi, I'm James, and I'm here to write to you about some things. And, or, hey, I'm Peter, I'm Paul. And at the end, it says something like, say hi to this one and that one and the other one. And uh, by the way, someone else is here, and they send their greetings as well, right? <laughs> so, you know, as I opened the book of Second Peter, I rarely have found much in the way of inspiration from these sections of, P of Scripture, but knowing that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, I dutifully opened the book of 2 Peter. And what I saw really set me back. It took, took me back a little bit. Peter opens the letter like this. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, 
On its face, it seems fairly innocuous, right? Pretty unimposing, not daunting. He's simply identifying who he is. He hasn't even said anything yet. Or has he? Hmm. One summer when I was in high school, I got the privilege of working for my grandfather. Uh, We always just called him Pop. Got to work for Pop. Now, the thing you need to understand about Pop is he was an amazing carpenter, uh, just a great handyman. Uh, he was very skilled, very talented, but he was a tough boss. He was hard to work for. Uh, he was a perfectionist, so he expected perfection from himself and from those who worked with him. Now, unfortunately for me, uh, I am a lousy handyman. Uh, usually, when I go to fix one thing, I break two things in the process. So. This was destined for for failure from the first moment that uh, we agreed to this. So working for Pop, was it was was hard. Now, I have a memory that summer uh, of Pop picking me up in his truck and taking me to various job sites. And when he would introduce me, he would always introduce me by my middle name, Joe. He said, hey, this is Joe. He wouldn't call me John. And at first, I thought it was amusing, right? This is just Pop being Pop. That's what he does, right? He likes to tease. But it continued. And frankly, I found it pretty annoying. After a while, I was like, why do you do that? Why do you introduce me by my middle name? My name is John. Introduce me by the name of John. Well, the thing you have to understand is that Pop's name is John. Okay? So since my work was not up to John's standards, uh, (laughs) I was not able to earn my name. This is not good or kind. (laughs) Got under my skin. My name is John. I want to be called John. And I want to be known as John, period, end of story. Names matter. They mattered in Jesus' day, and of course they matter today as well. Peter's name was significant. That's why the opening line of his letter is so surprising. Peter starts his letter with his name but not the name you'd expect. Instead of starting his book with Peter, he starts it with the name Simon. Why? Oh, why would you, if you were writing an authoritative book that was going to be uh, used in the church as a, a letter of instruction and information, why would you start with the name Simon? Was Peter such a common name that he needed to clarify which Peter this was? It's Simon Peter, not Bob Peter, Tom Peter, or Joe Peter. Is that, is that what's going on here? Well, probably not. I mean, Peter was well known in the early church. People knew who he was. In fact, if you turn over to the book of 1 Peter, uh, he starts it like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. No ambiguity there at all. This Peter is the Peter that was one of the apostles of Jesus, a select group. In fact, if you look at it closely, you can see that all of the words in the opening of 1 Peter are there in 2 Peter. Similar, but different. Why? What's the big deal about the name of Simon? Well, to understand that, we need to go back to the name change event itself and look at who Simon was and who Peter was. During his ministry, Jesus once asked his disciples a very important question pointed question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They responded with what they likely heard people say about Jesus. Some say a prophet. Some say uh, John the Baptist, among others. But then Jesus turned the question to them. 
Who do you say that I am? This is a much more direct and a much more important question. It's nice to know what others think. What do you say? We're all going to have to answer that question when we stand before God in heaven. Who is Jesus? Good teacher? Good person? He was nice, had some good things to say, seemed to help some people. But who is he? There are many things that could be said about who Jesus is and was, but Simon Peter nailed it right on the money. In front of all the others, he piped up by saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, bingo! Peter, you nailed it. You are right on the money. Actually, he said Simon at that point. Simon, you nailed it. Spot on. He goes on to say, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus gave Simon the new name of Peter. The name itself, Peter, means rock, unmoving, unshakable. What about the name Simon? What does it mean? It means the one who hears or listens intently. So then we have Simon, the one who listens intently, listening to God the Father, discerning the identity of Jesus, and proclaiming it. It's amazing. He proclaims Jesus as the Messiah. And upon that declaration of Jesus as Messiah, as Son of God, Jesus changes his name just like that, from hearer to rock. Before his declaration of Jesus as the Son of God, he was Simon. But afterward, he was Peter. New name, new identity. Now, wouldn't you think that if you were Peter, you'd completely drop the name Simon and exclusively go with the name Peter. Simon was his name before Jesus. Peter was his name after being transformed by Jesus. Simon denied Jesus. Peter was his name after... Peter was a declarer of Jesus. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water when he kept his eyes focused on Jesus. Simon took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. Simon cut off the ear of the high priest. Simon went to the tomb of Jesus after the crucifixion, looked in, but was slow to believe. Jesus said before his death, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon. I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fall. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus called him Simon again. Went back to his own old name. That probably didn't feel very good. After his denial, Jesus asked him three times, Simon, do you love me? Catch the contrast at the end of the book of John. The third time that he, Jesus, said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Same guy. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Simon denied Jesus. Peter declared Jesus as God's son. Simon was a denier. Peter was a declarer. Simon was weak. Peter was the rock. But now we come to a letter written years after this event. I mean, the denial of Jesus is long in the past at this point, right? I mean, we're looking at the book of 2 Peter here. It was years ago. So all that Simon business is ancient history, right? Why open your letter with the name of failure, the name of weakness, 
the name of who you were before Jesus. Why not just forget it entirely? It would be like me starting a letter by saying, this letter is from selfish John, or unkind John here writing to you, or hi, this is fearful John, and I have a few things to say. It's not exactly inspiring. So why lead with the name of Simon Peter and not just go with the name of Peter? I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to want to completely forget my past. I don't want to revisit the things that I've done wrong that caused me embarrassment and shame. When Pop called me Joe, I didn't like it. He was reminding me that my work was not up to par. I wasn't good enough. I didn't measure up to his standards. I wanted to be called John. Reminding me that I wasn't very handy didn't make me feel great. That's why I love verses like Philippians 3.13, where Paul says, I forget what is behind and strain forward to what is ahead. Remembering past failures can cause us pain. We don't like pain. So the idea of just dropping the past and heading toward what is to come is super appealing to us. So again, why start the book with the name Simon? Well, if we look at the phrase carefully, we can pick out the first words of each description and see that Simon was a servant of Jesus. Simon, the servant of Jesus. The second word of each description shows us that Peter was an apostle of Christ. Declaring Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen one of God, God's son, was the event that immediately preceded the rebranding of Simon to Peter. The power of God displayed in Simon is how Peter even came to be. So when we see the words, Simon Peter, the servant and apostle, we're able to recognize Jesus not simply as the man, but as the Christ. Simon, the servant of Jesus, became Peter, the apostle of Christ, because he simoned. He simoned the Father. He listened to the Father God. He heard the Father and declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So why not just leave the past in the past? Forget about it. Forget the name Simon and just live into the name Peter. Well, if you've ever watched uh, a tooth whitening strip commercial, if you've ever seen this, the before teeth look pretty good until they put the after teeth on there. And you can see that the after teeth are 500 times whiter because of the teeth whitening strips. It's, because, it, it's in the contrast between the teeth that the pitch for the teeth whitening strips occurs. In the same way, it's in the contrast between who we were and who we are that we speak the loudest for Christ. This is how we become glory spreaders, true glory spreaders. We become people who spread the glory of God by declaring what he's done in our lives and how he has changed us before, after. What's the difference? Earlier I referenced Philippians 3.13 where Paul writes about forget the past, forgetting what goes before and pressing on towards what is ahead. Well, what exactly is the before that Paul wants to forget? Before Paul met Jesus, he was all about achieving his own righteousness, making a name for himself in Judaism by being the perfect Jew. This is what he was forgetting and leaving behind, his old way of thinking. We just read a few, or we read a few verses before Philippians 3.13 in verse 8, where Paul writes, I consider everything else a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing. Knowing. 
knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Knowledge is key, but faith, it's faith that saves. Knowing Jesus, that's what it's all about. It's not that we forget everything that have happened before that has happened before we knew Jesus, because the miracle of rebirth is most clearly displayed when people can see the before and the after pictures side by side together. So he writes, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Throughout my scholastic career, grade school, junior high, high school, uh, I observed that there were certain questions that any student could ask pretty much any teacher or professor that uh, would get under the teacher's skin like no other. I saw it time and time again, uh, and I'm sure many of you have observed it as well. Who knows, perhaps maybe you are the one. Uh, who asks this question. I don't know. I'm casting judgment here. Frequently, this happens when the teacher is bestowing gems of hard-earned knowledge upon the unsuspecting students, when the hand goes up in the back of the room. Finally, the teacher thinks to themselves, I'm getting through to them. I'm connecting with them in a meaningful way. The thirst for my expertise and wisdom has finally taken hold. The teacher calls on the student with the hand raised only to be greeted with that age-old question that puts the lie to all of the teacher's hopes and dreams. Is this going to be on the test? (laughs) Uh, Hopes dashed. The teacher responds with a simple, yes, it's all on the test, but secretly one has to wonder what that does to the psyche of, of an educator. It's devastating. Equally well-known as the will-this-be-on-the-test are other inspiration-killing questions like, why do we need to know this? Or, when am I ever going to use this? These questions reveal that often the motive of the student is less than pure. They're not in a class because of their unquenchable quest for knowledge. They're there because they have to be there or they'll get a detention. They're far less interested in acquiring knowledge and much more interested in when recess starts or perhaps in getting the number of the person that happens to be two rows in front of them uh, and off to the side. It puts the lie to the the idea that we're we're here for thirst for knowledge. The, The heart behind the question is basically this. What is the minimum amount of information I need to pass the test because I'm just really not all that interested in this particular topic? Sadly, People frequently take the same attitude when it comes to knowing about God and knowing God. But why? Are we bored with God? Are we simply uninterested in him or what he has to say? Have we become so deluded and so self-absorbed that we have elevated our own interests, desires, and even hobbies above God? Rather than making God the priority in our lives... I fear that we often make him a priority, one priority among many others, which I'm pretty sure is called idolatry. How would my life be different if I 100% bought into the idea that I am made by God 
for God, to know God, and be known by God? Would it be such a struggle to get up and spend time with him? Would my only biblical intake happen on a Sunday morning or in small group? I think not. In our imperfection, we all display the same lethargic attitude of the unwilling student when it comes to knowing about God and ultimately knowing God. This turns out to be a pretty big problem because it limits our growth. As fallen people, we need continuous, constant exposure to the truth of God so that we can accurately reflect his image. Throughout our study of the book of James, we learned that a saving faith will absolutely produce fruit. Fruit will come from a saving faith. It will result in good works. If the result of a saving faith is the production of fruit, then the soil of a well-nourished faith is knowledge. Just as the soil provides nutrients necessary for a plant to grow, the knowledge of God helps sustain and ground our faith in truth. Lack of knowledge about who God is, what he's like, and what he has done, and what he wants has been the launchpad for, sadly to say, for many a cult. And perhaps it is for this reason that Peter says these words, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. The grace of God through which we can have forgiveness of our sins and the peace of God come through a relationship with God. A relationship with God starts by hearing the good news about Jesus. As Paul writes in Romans, faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. The hearing that Paul is referring to is not a passive listening, but an active hearing, whereby we hear the good news, we take in that information that leads to transformation in our lives. The knowledge doesn't just sit dormant, it changes us from the inside out. Jesus frequently used the phrase, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what I'm about to say. It was his way of saying, hey, listen up. I'm about to drop a knowledge bomb on you that you probably need to not only hear, but respond to, to listen to, to understand. Actively listening to God, actively actively pursuing God are necessary ingredients if we are going to live a life that is pleasing to God. Do you need to experience the grace of God in your life? Do you need to have the peace of God in your life? Peter writes, may it be yours through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Peter's letter is written to those who have received a precious faith through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that small phrase, Peter fulfills his purpose. He does his job. Peter's job was to point to Jesus as the Messiah. Remember his declaration of Jesus' identity when Jesus said, who do you say I am? Who do the disciples say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. Jesus specifically said, Peter, you know this, you knowledge this, you understand this, not because you're a smart guy, not because you figured it out, but rather because it has been revealed to you by the Father himself. Peter is being the best Peter that Peter can be when he's proclaiming the truth about Jesus. You are being the best you that you can be when you are fulfilling your purpose through Jesus, when you are spreading his glory and bearing witness to his active control and impact on your life. In this one small phrase, 
Peter reveals once again the answer to that monumental, all-important question, who is Jesus? To those who have received a faith as precious as ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God and Savior. God and Savior. Not only Savior, but also God. To this very day, there are millions of people who will not acknowledge Jesus as God. They might acknowledge him as someone who lived, someone who taught, perhaps even someone who was good, but not as God. That's the sticking point. That is what sets us apart. We proclaim and believe, along with Peter, that Jesus is God. Some will say that Jesus was created by God. Almost God, they assert, but not God. Not Peter. Not Peter. That's not what Peter says. Peter doesn't say that. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we're going to take Peter's words at face value, then it is simply not good enough to acknowledge the existence or even the goodness of Jesus. Jesus has been revealed to us by Peter and others as God the Son. Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, begotten, not made. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Knowing the name and identity of Jesus is the path to having and experiencing the grace and peace of God in our lives. Peter's co-disciple, John, uh, confirms Peter's assertion in the first words of his book. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, a.k.a. Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus himself confirms Peter's assertion with a pointed statement delivered when he was asked point blank if he was the Messiah. His response, I and the Father are one. Knowing the true identity of Jesus is how we experience God's grace and peace in our lives. We often like to think about Jesus as the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he is. We like to think of him as the good teacher whose parables confounded the Pharisees. And he is that too. We like to think of him as the Lamb of God, the one whose sacrifice purchased our forgiveness and redemption. He is all of those things, and much more. But when we acknowledge Jesus as God, it is a game changer. It puts his words in a whole new light. Instead of interesting anecdotes with good morals, his teaching suddenly rises to the same level as the Ten Commandments. His words really are God's words. They're not just guidelines. They're imperatives. They're commands. It gives new meaning to Jesus' words in, 14, in John 14, 15, where he says, If you love me, obey my commands. It helps us better understand John's words in 1 John, where he says, Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, by the way. The grace and peace of God can be ours in abundance through the knowledge that Jesus is both God and Savior. He has the authority and ability to provide grace and peace because he is God. He is the saver of our souls because he loves us and gave himself up as a sacrifice for us. So then should we just sit around trying to conjure up deep thoughts about God? Is that how it works? Of course not. Of course not. 
It is the Spirit of God that reveals the nature of God to us. Our information doesn't come from inside us, but from the outside, from God, from his word. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples how this would all work. In John 16, we read, these are the words of Jesus. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So what Jesus is saying here is that the Spirit takes from Jesus and provides revelation to us, understanding about God, about the nature of God. What belongs to God was given to Jesus, and what Jesus has has been given to the Spirit so that he can tell us about it. As we read that passage, there's a familiar ring to it. The idea that the Spirit will take from what Jesus has and make it known to us sounds remarkably similar to what Jesus said about himself. In John 12, he says, I, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. As it relates to knowing God and knowing God's truth, we have the entire Trinity involved in teaching us. God the Father told God the Son what to say and how to say it. God the Spirit receives from God the Son and makes known to us that which came from God the Son, which came from God the Father. Clearly, God is very interested in making sure that we know him. Not just know about him, know him. Information comes through revelation. Information from revelation becomes knowledge that we can use to teach us how to live for God. But if you don't put yourself in a position to receive revelation, it's going to be impossible to grow in knowledge. You see, that's our job. That, that's kind of the whole, our part of the whole transaction of data. We need a lot more Mary and a lot less Martha. A lot more sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words, God's words, that can teach us and change us, and a lot less running around like chickens with our heads cut off from thing to thing, task to task, job to job, event to event. It's in the hearing that knowing can begin. It is through the knowing that faith can grow and flourish. It is from the faith that fruit is produced in our lives, fruit that brings glory to God. As we listen and grow in knowledge that leads to faith, let us be exceedingly careful. One of the biggest obstacles that confronted the early church was this idea that certain people had special knowledge that other people didn't have. Just as faith without works is dead, knowledge without humility is dead. Knowledge in a vacuum leads to pride. Knowledge without love is a waste and is actually counterproductive. We're not just talking about knowing interesting stuff, knowing facts. We're talking about knowing God. There's a big difference. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
The more we know about God, the more motivated we should be to serve him, to serve each other, to humble ourselves, to put ourselves last instead of first. As people on this faith journey together, we always need to remember Satan had knowledge too. Satan knew who God was. Satan knew a lot. And his heart was filled with pride that led to his precipitous downfall. We need to always be on our guard that the end game is not knowledge acquisition, but rather deeper love for God, deeper love for his church, and deeper love for those created in his image. Let's talk to him. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for making known to us your identity making known to us the identity of your Son, for loving us enough to reveal to us what we need to know so that we can be in a relationship with you. And we pray through your Spirit that you would encourage us, that you would grow us as we put ourselves in a position to learn from you, to hear from you, to know more about you. We pray that as you teach us about yourself, that we would receive uh, the words that you give us with humility and that we would, we would be changed. Uh, we thank you for it. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Have a great morning. <laughs>